absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Court Squash, Around the Court Squash Podcast. We are delighted to welcome to the show the current world number one, Mohamed El Shervagi. This man needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyways. He's currently fifth on the all-time titles list, amassing an, an astonishing 42 titles. He's won every major title under the sun, including multiple TOCs, World Tour Finals, British Opens, and a World Championship in which he defeated his brother in 2017 in an unbelievably dramatic match. Despite all this, perhaps one of his most impressive achievements is how long he's been and continues to be at the top of the sport, reaching the world number one in November 2014, a position he currently still holds here in October of 2020. He announced himself on the world stage probably officially in 2008 in Manchester when he beat Thierry Linku at the time, who was ranked inside the top eight in the world. I mean, I could keep going on, but let's just leave it at that. Mohamed El Shabagi, <laughs> thanks a million for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. And yeah, I'm excited to be with you guys here today. And yeah, let's uh, let's also answer some questions. <laughs> <laughs> Question number one. I know you were very. Cl- it was very interesting. We got so much out of the interview you did post Manchester. What I got out of it mostly was I just couldn't believe how motivated you were. Yeah. And that you, I think you'd alluded that your dream, your goal was never world number one, because if you did that, you'd get to it and you'd probably just stop. It was, there was far more layers to what drove you. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my goals were always to, uh, to, um, to try and put my name in the history books of the game, you know, uh, to try and achieve things that, uh, that are unique in the sport. Um, uh, my goals were not were never set to just win a big title or just to get to a number one. My goals were bigger than this, and uh, and I think as I said after my interview in Manchester, you know, uh, like during my interview in Manchester, that if my goals were to just get to a number one or to just win a big title, uh, it 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 wouldn't uh, make me achieve more than that, you know. And uh, I always looked at bigger than just achieving a certain title, you know, and. Uh, and yeah, I think it, I, it always kept me motivated to just keep winning. And after I win, just not to enjoy the trophy too much and just focus on the next one straight away. Uh, I made that a habit in my career. And yeah, it's uh, been a journey so far, definitely. <laughs> it has that. Do you, ever, do you ever give yourself a moment to sit back and reflect on what you've done? Or have you not allowed yourself to do that just yet? Um, definitely. Uh, <laughs> You definitely never um, think about what's happening, you know. Like you're not, you're never, you're like in the, you're in the moment the whole time thinking about what's gonna happen tomorrow, how am I gonna get better tomorrow, how can I win the next title? If you lose today, you need to, uh, you need to understand the art of letting go, you know, <laughs> to just uh, never af- make that loss affect you because in the next week you need to win another big title and. Uh, all these things, you know, that, that there is no time in uh, during the season to think about what happened yesterday or to reflect on what you have achieved or uh, that's if you want to keep succeeding, you know. Uh, the moment you sit down and reflect on how much you achieved is uh, uh, during that period you're reflecting, there is uh, someone else already training trying to get better than you. So, uh, so, um, so yeah, so I mean... 
I feel I'm still young. I feel like I still I have so many goals I still want to achieve. Uh, I think it's too early for me to still say I want to reflect and think about the things that I have already achieved because because I'm still all the players around me are are actually the same age as me, even though that it always feels that I'm so much older than them. <laughs> but I'm actually these these guys are actually my own generation, and uh, they all. Uh, have a lot of goals so am i and that's what makes the tour very exciting that we all have things so uh gunning for mm-hmm. yeah when did you realize that you were potentially capable of achieving those sort of things that you're talking about like i'm sure i mean arthur and i and chris would love to be in the history books for being the greatest players <laughs> ever but unfortunately i don't think it was ever on the cards but yeah. was there a point in your career where you thought actually you know what i could be more than just world champion or world number one i could be a legend of the sport. Um, I, th- I think from when I was ten years old, actually, um, it's something I know. I was a kid, but at that time, I was always getting told, "You can do that. You can achieve these things." So I started believing in them from when I was a kid. Uh, I had a coach. His name is Kamal Awad, who played the longest match in the history with uh, Jahangir. Legend. He, um, he came to coach at my club in Alexandria, where I train. Came to coach the under 19s because uh, before the national, a couple of weeks before the national, the club just brought him in to just give them some experience. And my mom tried to get him on court with me and the club refused. But my mom was so stubborn and she tried to get me on court with him. She failed, but he luckily he was passing by my court and watched me play for five minutes. And he went to the board and said that he wants to get on court with me. Um, and then he went on court with me. He hit with me for five minutes, and then he went out to my mom. Told her, "Your your kid can be world number one world champion one day, and I would like to coach this kid." Uh, oh. He coached me for four years. I was actually with him half an hour on the phone before he died. Even uh, I was very close to him, uh, but he made me believe. And he, the things that he used to coach me with, he used to tell me these things will stay with you forever. Uh, he was teaching me how to be mentally strong. He he put that in me when I was a kid for four years and that um, and all the success I had and all the belief I had from when I was a kid was because of this person. He put all these things in me when I was a kid. Well, I mean, that must be an incredible feeling as a, as a nine-year-old to have a legend like him just already see that kind of potential in you. Yeah, definitely. And at the same time, when my parents heard that from him, you know, they, they decided, okay, we're going to give him, we're going to, they're going to give me the best, thing for me that can make me get to that you know and then it came as a process you know i had gamal awad for four years after he died uh, i left to jonah as a 15 year old to at millfield and funny jonah was the coach of gamal awad uh, in his career and gamal used to always talk to me about jonah but i've never met jonah till i went to millfield so i was always coached under the same school of that mental strength from gamal to jonah and uh, that's the kind of belief and the people I had behind me since I was a kid. I was lucky that I had these kind of people around me because this definitely didn't just come from me. You know, you had, I had to have people since I was a kid because it's a, it's a project. You try to, to improve it day by day, you know, and I was the project for my parents that they tried to, they kept improving my coaches. And here I am today trying to make them proud and, and uh, show them that the investment they had in me from time, money, everything is, uh, is, uh, is uh, trying to make that as successful as possible. Worked out pretty well, hasn't it, so far? <laughs> <laughs> and there's plenty more to go. I mean, at 29, you've, you've clearly made your intents clear that you have a lot more to give. 
and you've got a lot more goals that you wish to achieve before you even contemplate retiring and, and even reflecting. I mean, at 29, you've got five, six, seven years. And the way science is going, you could even have 10 if you look at people like Gaultier. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see, hopefully. Uh, depends on how good I take care of the body. You know, it takes one bad movement to keep you out for a month, right? As you guys know. So, yeah. So, um, luck plays a little bit part in, in sports in general sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah and maybe some of the decisions on food we we uh, we had Hagen on a couple of weeks ago and we were reminiscing a story of jumping in the uh, motorway on the way to National League <laughs> <laughs> six, I know where you're going to now <laughs> uh, six donuts and a Big Mac meal <laughs> <laughs> Big Mac or the Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah story not, I'm not very proud of it, definitely yeah. <laughs> well, I think I actually think it's legendary <laughs> you know and you know again it comes back to just being you were so young back then it's kind of uh, you know it's easy to forget even now to be fair and like what you said like most of your peers are of a, are the same generation or very close to it but yet it feels like everyone in the squash world knows you better or certainly knows of you a lot longer because you've been around i mean like i said 2008 when you played linku and, and you made the quarters of the world world open as a 17 year old yeah that was a big moment definitely it was uh <laughs> It was, um, I remember 2008, yeah, it was a uh, couple of months after I won my first World Juniors. Yeah. And uh, that World Junior always give so much confidence when you win. And when I went to the seniors, I uh, I uh, played the quali of Saudi, which was in Millfield, actually, a month before that World Champ. And I lost to Julian Illingworth, who was World number 35 at the time. And I went to that World Champ. I didn't have that much confidence, actually. <laughs> uh, and then I remember when I uh, went through Quali and then, you know, they were making the draw. I, I told Jonah, you know, I would like to get, uh, I would like to get Renan Levine here because if I beat Renan, I could get Linku and I believe I can beat Linku. You know, I think my game can suit Linku. And I was only <laughs> 17 and I'm talking about the world number six, you know. <laughs> I was thinking about beating the world number six and I had, Tyrion Laving, who is uh, who are the top 20 player, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I ended up beating 3-2 in a very tough battle. But Linku was uh, was two love up match point up to win the three love actually, and uh, then I won tiebreak in the fifth. But uh, I think that kind of was my announcement that saying that I was coming for the top guys in that tournament. And uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a big moment, definitely. Yeah. It was. I also remember you playing some of the BSPA events even before that when you were. Only probably 15 or 16, and you were upsetting the seeds there as well. Actually, when Hadrian was on, we were talking about the Edinburgh tournament where yeah. I think you beat Stacey Ross, and then you went on and eventually lost to Hadrian, of all people. Yeah. Um, I uh, played Stacey, and uh, he was top 50, and I was 16. And uh, I, um, I think this match of the BSPA uh, gave me so much belief that I can play the seniors, definitely, because there were a lot of uh, great players playing them. Selby was playing them, Aslan played them, Peter Barker played them. So it made me exposed to these top players, you know. And uh, and uh, when I had Stacey Ross, I was like, I found it as another opportunity for me to play a top player. And why not try and see what I can do against him? And when I beat him, I think it was uh, it was my first ever top 50 win, actually. And uh, then I had Stiffy and uh, I didn't know Hadrian at all at the time. Uh, I don't think he knew anything of me at the time either. <laughs> And uh, I was 2-1 up and then Hayden started lobbing and lobbing and lobbing. 
But uh, the funny thing for me during that match that he had Alex Goff and Simon Park helping him during the match. And I was that 15-year-old <laughs> kid by myself with no help, you know. <laughs> so for me, it was, I was getting so much experience. I'm having two top 20 players coaching an ex-top 50 player. Again, it's a 15-year-old kid. That is how much experience I got at that age. That's how I thought about it. That's uh, I didn't think, oh, I'm losing. I'm not having any. I'm having a big disadvantage or, or any of these things. I'm having. I'm having three minds playing against me. So that's how much. Help, that's how much experience, and I'm learning from these events that are helping me to try and beat the top players. And uh, um, and yeah, and uh, it's it's it was these kind of moments that actually would give me a lot of confidence in general when I was a kid, actually. Yeah. But I think the confidence came from within as well, because I remember quite clearly that you stepped on court and you believe, you could see in your demeanor that you believed you could beat these guys, even at that age. You probably had no right to believe you could beat them because you'd never <laughs> done it before. But there was just something about you that was like, I don't care who you are, or what you're ranked. I'm going to go on court and I'm going to make this hard for you. To, to, to be honest, it's, it's, as I said, it's, it's because of the school of Gamal Awad and Jonah. That is a school that taught me that, like Gamal Awad used to always tell me, once you get on court, you have two hands, you have two eyes, you have two legs. Why the other guy should beat you? Because his world, because his ranking is blah blah blah. Or it's 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 all numbers, you know. I've always thought about it this way. Uh, so whenever I went on court, I was always, I respect you. You're older than me, and that is about it, you know. At, at, at the only way I'm looking at you, you're someone who's just trying to stop me from winning. It doesn't matter who I'm playing against. It doesn't matter who I'm court with. And actually, in a way, uh, the top guys ask for that respect on court, and they like to see it. But they lose respect for their opponents when they actually give them that extra respect too, because they know that they're just trying to perform, not to beat them. But when these top guys have someone that go hard at them, that's when they have they earn they earn their respect. And that's what I did to the top guys. Once I went at Nick, I went hard at him. And later in my career, he told me, you, I, you earned my respect quick because you did that and you were unique than the other kids. Um, he obviously wouldn't have told me that straight at the time. <laughs> but later <laughs> in our career, we, we were having these conversations. And uh, it's the same with Greg. I've always tried to be them from the first instance till they actually accept that I am one of them. You know, uh, And uh, it doesn't come easy to become one of them. But... Uh, you can't be soft as well. You know, you have to be hard and you have to be aggressive to become one of them. Because the top guys are hard and aggressive. Uh, yeah. And you need to become like them to be one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair to say that any top sportsman is, is, has that in them. That old school mentality, which I d don't think ever goes away. Like hard as nails, but it's like you're, you're going to war. Like you're, you're getting in there. It's like a boxing match. It's like a gladiatorial fight for a civilized age. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I think sports in general have changed right now. Yeah. In the last five to ten years with the improvements on, of TVs, how they pick up on soft fouls in terms of football, squash, you know, tennis. Uh, and that's due to the technology, to all these things. And I think sports have become a little bit softer than before, definitely. You see it with the NBA with the generation of Michael Jordan to the generation of LeBron right now, they're both great players, but it's different generations at the same time. You know, uh, I'm just, I'm sure that they both would have done it if they were in, opposite, in the opposite generations too, you know, because they're just great athletes, you know, but um, 
you see it even a little bit with squash right now, I think, you know, I, if you look at the, back in the day with Jonathan Power, David Palmer, you know, Gauthier, you know, Jansher, you know, all these guys were more of warriors, you know. Uh, squash was definitely much tougher as a sport at the time, so at other sports. And and uh, I felt that um, I was in the middle of this a little bit, you know, because when I started, I was competing with the guys of Nick, Greg. These guys are were, were proper warriors. And th- at that time, squash was uh, very hard at, at that time. Now, the TV has improved a lot in squash and uh, they have started to pick up in a lot of decisions and they tried to, which is, I think, good in the, for the sport in a way, but it made players a little bit softer as well. That's what I think. Uh, and even myself, I had to change my game and adapt uh, to, 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 because you need to, uh, to stay ahead of the game. You need to improve as the game improve. So you need to change as yourself as a squash player, you know, or if I kept playing the way I played before, it, it wasn't going to work right now, you know. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying the athletes right now are softer. I'm just saying that the sport is requiring the athletes not to be warriors like before. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, but for me, the mentality of warriors should stay the same. And that's why always in my team, I've always had someone from the old school in my team, uh, like Palmer, Jonah, Rodney Martin. Uh, I've always had someone from the old generation because that mentality of warriors is so important to, uh, to still have, I think, you know, um, and um yeah, I mean, I always feel like if someone going to go with me on court, is I always have to make them feel that they're going to war with me. So it, it's tough, you know. That's yeah. what Nick made us feel whenever we went on court with him. That's what Greg made us feel. That's what this generation taught me, you know. And yeah. that is my duty to teach the next generations to do that too, you know. And I think that's important for the sport to have as well. Yeah, you don't want to teach them too quickly, though. You want to do that like in <laughs> six, seven, ten years' time when you're done. <laughs> I'm, not trying to teach them. I'm, I'm just trying to teach them by playing them this way. No, no, I, I, yeah, totally. No, I totally get it. And it's, you're right. And the and evidence of last week, there's also definitely one guy that's been paying attention, young Mustafa Asal. He seems like he's following that, that code. <laughs> Yeah, exactly like you did. I, I was actually doing an interview with Nathan Clark uh, in Manchester and funny enough I was telling him the two players that I'm really interested towards this season were Diego and Asal uh, and um, it's uh, Asal is someone who I think is if he keeps the right attitude towards training and if he stays motivated as he is right now he's definitely going to uh, lead the sport at some point. He's definitely going to beat everyone at some point. You know, he had the age, he had the physicality, he has the game, he had the charisma, uh, whatever people think about what he did last week in terms of celebrations. I had no problem with it, to be honest. I think the sport needs that. We've seen it in different sports, whether in tennis or football. Uh, I was actually more surprised at how many people went at him, actually. (laughs) Uh, I just felt uh, he's 19 having his first ever win against the top five players, you know, and uh, he just was so excited, you know, and uh, he showed so much emotions. I, I do think he can, he could have toned down a little bit, but that's something he will learn as he grows as a squash player. And, uh, and uh, but he uh, was very impressive, I thought, last week. And uh, what impressed me against Paul, actually, his patience in the end of that fifth game. Uh, he was so patient, which uh, I thought that Paul was the one going to be more patient at that time. And uh, he played with so much experience. And uh, I do think a lot of the top guys need to be careful and need to be warned because he gave a big warning to 
all the tour, I think that he's coming. He reminds me a lot of myself when I was coming up, you know, that's the kind of stuff I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be stupid if some of the top guys would let that slip or, or, or let that what happened last week go quite uh, quickly like that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were talking about it actually earlier in the week and I, same as yourself, like just thought you're a young kid, you're 19, you just had an unbelievable result. You're certainly allowed to celebrate whichever way you want and looked at some of the forums and some of the people that were giving out about it are the very people that are giving out about, you know, being PC, like complaining that there's not enough charisma or there's not enough comments or expression. And then they get an expression and they're like, oh, there's too much expression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think you also have to separate the, the celebration, as you say, is completely understandable. He's a young guy who's just had the biggest win of his career. Of course, he's going to celebrate and maybe he got a bit carried away with the, the short off in the coronavirus times. Yeah. But the thing that we discussed in the last podcast episode was was the way he was playing and some of the the blocking at times and some of the sort of soft lets that he was trying to manufacture with Paul. Anything that you think about that that maybe needs to clean up? Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you, uh, a lot of... Um... A lot of juniors in general uh, do this in juniors where they ask for cheaplets and they ask for all, all these things. If I'm honest with you, we all done it. I'm included, to be honest, you know. And then once we got to the professional scene, the transition from changing from juniors to seniors, uh, you get like a shock in the system a little bit. You, you start to understand it's, it's a different world out there. It's a different jungle, basically, you know. Uh, and... Uh, that's what. That's where he will come and learn these things. Uh, when I was watching it, definitely, it's not right. But at the same time, uh, it is not something that will stay with him like that forever. It's something that will actually change quick. Um, the thing that need to change with him are things that are really easy to fix, actually. And, um, and actually, the positives out of him as a squash player are much, much more. And I think he is someone who is so good for the sport. And I think squash need new stars. And as a sport, we haven't seen someone who that who's that young doing that well since probably me and Rami, you know. And that's been 10 years now. And I think we need that as a sport right now. We need someone that young to challenge the top guys. And I think he's going to give that for the next few years. And I think it will be great for the sport. Yeah, he, he is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I think... It's been a long time, and, and again, we, the fact that most of the players are in and around your generation, it's so great to have someone who's right at the beginning of their path and they're good enough to be able to compete. Uh, sorry, compete's the wrong word. Like, they can do some damage. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> you've had him, um, you know, and you touched on him with Rodney and Palmer, and you, you've been with Hadrian for the bulk of your pro- professional career, probably since the start, I think that's fair to say. He's been yeah, then, uh, we started our partnership together since uh, 2009. Uh, so, yeah, 11 years now. Uh, he, has, he has played a big, big role in my career. He, uh, he is obviously the coach who coached me the longest in my career. Yeah. Uh, and actually, for me, the most important person has been in my team in my career, if I'm honest. Uh, he, uh, he always understood it was always about the player. He is always... Uh, when I told him that I think I need to go to Palmer for a little bit, he always understood, like some coaches, you know, get jealous, you know, they don't accept other opinions, you know, uh, but he always understood that it's about the players and about the players' needs. He all, he understood that sometimes he needed to let me go uh, to someone else that 
he, he obviously when I went to Palmer, he and Hedy and were working together. He he understood that I needed uh, a fresh mentality a little bit in the team, you know. Um, and um, it was always decision that we both actually took together. Uh, when I went to Rotney, it was similar. Uh, so uh, if Hagen didn't understand, wasn't understanding in these situations, you know, it would have made my life as a player more difficult, you know. So he always understood uh, these tricky situations. Uh, but at the same time, his understanding of the game and how he changed my movement, how we always spoke about the game against tactics, about, against other players, have been so vital for my career. And, uh, and uh, he obviously helped me to get to Bristol after midfield. He helped me with the scholarship in the University of the West of England. He, he made me create a home in Bristol, which is so comfortable for me as well that I call my home here. And uh, so, yeah, he's played such a huge role in my career, definitely. Yeah, I know it's it's big of him um, as well. If, if that's the right way to put it, to be open to, he's a very open guy. Um, but also yourself, I mean, you feel that every like you're world number one. You've got Hadrian in your corner. You have your your team around you. At what point did you question, or at what point did you feel that I need to add something in to improve myself? Like, and you're doing that kind of as a world, not kind of. You're doing that as as a world number one. It's not like you're floating around the 50s or the 20s? I, th- I think there was a year in 2017 uh, when Gawad won the World Champ, actually. That year, uh, that season, I got back to world number three. Uh, that, se- that season, I actually lost to my brother in Guna in 18 minutes, 19 minutes, something like this. Um, after I was going through a lot of personal issues at that time. And, uh, and then at that time when my generation was starting to actually have a go at me. You know, all that time I was having with Nick, Greg, Shabana, but then my generation stepped it up. Gawad, Ali was coming, my brother, Dusuki, all these guys were stepping it up. And uh, and uh, these guys have studied me more than I, st- I studied them. But Palmer, uh, Nick, Greg, all these guys, I, st- I studied them more than they studied me because I grew up watching them while my generation grew up watching me, you know? even though that I was the same age, but I, I went there earlier, you know, so they watched me definitely. So that was a year when I had to like do different research against my own generation. You know, I needed to study them. And uh, a lot of people at that time were, were saying that my generation are coming up, Gawad is there, Ali, and I, I have no chance to compete with these guys anymore because my game doesn't suit them, you know? And... Um, and then I decided to go to Palmer. I felt that when I was going through a lot of problems like that, I needed someone new in my team. I needed something different, you know, here's something different. And uh, I needed someone who uh, get me back to be strong mentally again, because that season I was so going through a lot of personal issues that it took my mental focus away from the game. So there was no someone to put me into the right attitude back again more than David Palmer. So I gave him a call Five minutes after I lost to my brother in 19 minutes in Ilguna in April, just before the season ended, I told him, David, uh, I just lost to my brother in 19 minutes. I lost two first round this season, which is something I've never done. Uh, I have four months to get, to get ready for next season. Uh, I want to go back to world number one again. And uh, I want to make it work, you know. Uh, and then he told me, okay, just relax now. We could have literally just finished after the match. And I was like, just relax now and just, and, and we'll talk about the training for the summer. Definitely. I'm, I'm interested to work and I'm excited to do this partnership. 
And then, uh, and then just before I finished the phone call, call, I told him, but David, just remember, I don't accept three. I don't accept two. I only accept one. So there is no other option. We're only getting back to number one next season. Then he told me, understood. I wanted him to know my mentality, you know, that I wasn't going to accept anything else, you know. And then we went in the summer. I trained so hard. And then I came back and, uh, yeah, I came back. I played Gawad in the first round of the season. I beat him three love. And then I won the world champ. I think I made five finals in a row, something like this. And uh, it was a challenge, you know, because my generation gave me a different challenge. Young, playing different, um, took me into different weaknesses of the game. And uh, different challenge got me better, but go through it, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> he certainly did. <laughs> yeah. No, miss him. And then looking ahead to Qatar, obviously this week with Farag uh, winning the tournament in Egypt. I mean, it's hard to say you've been dethroned, but you won't be sitting at world number one. But I suppose there's an element there where maybe a lot of people feel that you still are until someone beats you, until actually physically beats you. And I think most of us, uh, I don't know, that's my, hum- that's my humble opinion anyways. How do you feel about going into Qatar? And if you win Qatar, does that get you back to top spot or how are the points? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, um, I always believe the rankings never lie. You know, like uh, I've had in my career where I was number one, but they say that this other player is better than you, you know. And then I always say, if he was, why is he not number one? You know, because I was just better than that other certain player for the course of the whole season, get me a few days, but you're not going to get me the whole year. You know, I was, I always had that mentality, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, Ali is uh, someone, he is the most consistent rival I've had to face in my career. Uh, I think I've, ha- I've had to play against better players on the day, but uh, Ali the most consistent out of them. And that makes him tougher than the better you have to play against on the day. Because with Ali, you cannot lose focus any day during the year. But with other players, like with Rami, he was never available the whole season. You know, he would come out two or three tournaments that win, the whole, and they will, he will, 99% chance he will win them, you know. Uh, and he would win them, but he never had a, like, um, big effect on getting me out of the world number one because he didn't play enough tournaments, you know. And, uh, but Ali was always the most consistent one. Uh, um, so him being world number one today, you know, is um, uh, I think he definitely deserve it. Um, uh, when I got to world number one and I took him out of it, he went through a hard time at that period when he did not compete at the world champ as well. So uh, when I got to world number one, I deserved to go there, even if he didn't play the tournament, because during the whole year I was better than him. It just felt better that I needed to still beat him. I felt that I still needed to, to beat him, you know, and I did that in Canary Wharf, yeah. uh, which was important for me, you know. Um, I think uh, me and Ali know that uh, we have had such a huge rivalry the last three, four years that hopefully it will continue. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't think he's worried that I was not there, you know, because end of the day, it's not going to matter whether I played or not because in 10 years' time, no one will ever remember this. In 10 yeah. years' time, you remember who was world number one at that time. And today, it's Ali Farag. And now it's my job to try and take him out of it. And I have a chance in Qatar. And uh, I'm doing my best to, uh, to be uh, available there at my, uh, at my best. I'm interested just hearing you talk here. Obviously, um, you spoke a lot about the rankings, but 
Is that the thing that motivates you on a daily basis or is it winning tournaments or is it a specific rival or opponent or what is it that gets you out of bed and wants you, makes you want to go down and train hard? So uh, to be honest with you, I, um, I, um, I, what motivates me is always to be the best player in the world. It's always to win tournaments. Um, I try to be better every day. But it's no good for me if I'm getting better every every day, but it's not making me win tournaments. I'd rather not get better every day, but win tournaments. You know, <laughs> so so uh, I don't believe in saying trust the process or believe in the process or all these things. I believe in doing something and achieve something. You know, so I want to achieve and win a certain event. This is my goal: is to win an event and. And then do it again the next week is to stay at world number one. That is the main goal always for me and always has been, you know, to try and be there consistently. And when I'm training or trying to get better, I'm trying to get better because I know this will make me win the event, not make me harder to play. I don't want to be harder to play. I don't want to be the most talented. I want to be the guy who is lifting the title at the end of the tournament. That's what matters for me at the end of the day, you know, and, uh, and uh, that's what I try to do on a daily basis. Wake up and think, how can I improve to get myself in a position to win the tournament? And that's always my mentality on a daily basis. So, so how did you cope during lockdown when there obviously was no tournaments to, to provide that motivation? You obviously dealt with it pretty well considering you came back eventually in Manchester. And yeah. So, so to, yeah, to be, to, to be honest with you, during lockdown, the first three months I did not move at all I uh, <laughs> didn't really move from the house at all honestly I uh, it was all planned um, I a lot uh, PlayStation not really. I played a little bit actually I have to say with my brother but uh, but I would actually I, honestly I wanted to lose muscles I wanted to lose weight actually I uh, I wanted to I felt that I was too strong in my legs for example that I needed to lose a lot of muscles in my legs how can I lose muscles and then when I gained them I, it, they can, I can be stronger. So I, I, I wanted to lose weight and uh, in not fats, more muscles-wise. Uh, I felt that with my own generation, uh, for me to keep up with them, I needed to, if I looked at Targ, if I looked at Ali, if I looked at Gawad, if I looked at Paul, they're all much lighter than me on court. Diego is much lighter than me, you know, all of them. And these are the guys I'm competing with right now. And uh, I'm definitely a much heavier player than them. Uh, so I decided to uh, take the three months off, lose complete muscles, and reinvent myself from the beginning again. Uh, and um, when I started training, I started, it's like starting from zero. I started to put the muscles, do the training, and put the muscle in the right areas in my body. So when I'm lunging, I'm not using too much hamstring, too much quads. I'm just using the right muscles, you know, and spread all over my legs, you know. And, um, and uh, I honestly just trained the last, two and a half months. Uh, I didn't worry much about squash. Squash, I thought, will come back quick once I'm back on court again. It's the physicality. It's, it's, it's thinking, basically, I'm a heavyweight. I'm a strong heavyweight. I'm playing against Ali, Tariq, and this guy who are very strong, lightweight. How can I be a lightweight with them, but still strong with them again? I'm still strong with them at the same time, but be stronger with them as well. Yeah, stronger than them, I mean. Uh, that was my thought. Come back to their category in terms of weight, uh, but be better than them, uh, and that's what I actually did. Or yeah, what are doing? <laughs> it was noticeable actually in Manchester. Like you look lean and mean. Like 
as lean as I've ever seen you. Yeah, especially now you're saying you, you wanted to lose it on your legs, but it was noticeable more in your upper body. Yeah. Um, I just ate well. No, no Krispy Kreme or anything. Definitely. <laughs> no donuts. I only ate well, honestly. <laughs> well, that, seems, that seems to have been a bit of a theme or a trend throughout your career. When you sort of exploded onto the scene, it was very powerful movement, very strong, yeah. explosive, fast. And if there was a weakness back then, it was possibly your endurance. Um, it was pretty minor, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't, seem, didn't seem to hold you back, but you, you seem like you've transitioned to a more all-round athlete now. Your endurance is as good as anyone else, and you've still got that speed and explosiveness, but because the power-to-weight ratio is higher, because the, the weight side of it has dropped, yeah. and you're still able to move with the same speed and efficiency. Well, to be honest, every period in my career, I played differently depending what was working better. Like when I was 21, 22, when I got to one number one, I had a lot of weaknesses in my game. But my strength was good enough for me to be one number one. And I knew that these weaknesses, when I need to improve them, I will need to improve them at some point in my career. But right now at that time, I didn't need to. I needed to make the strength just stronger because it was good enough. And then when my generation were stepping it up, that's when I needed to improve those weaknesses, you know? So I needed to kind of change as a player in different times, you know? Because playing Greg and Nick was always going to be different than playing Gawad, who played it. Like with Greg and Nick, they're not going to take go short from the first chance, for example. They're going to keep waiting and waiting. Gawad go from the first chance. And he's so talented, so he moves you differently, you know? Uh, Ali just extended Ali so, so just my generation just completely played me differently they were definitely fitter uh, they had less matches in their body than me I had less, that, uh, less matches in my body than Nick and Greg so uh, what Nick and Greg had to deal with with me I had to deal with with my own generation and that's what I, when I understood what Nick and Greg were trying to do with me I, I understood that when I, I dealt with my own generation how I need to change my movement needed to change the way I eat the way I live my life, every, everything needed to change, you know. And even now, I needed to change even more uh, because, uh, as I said, you know, uh, the two players for me to watch were Diego and Asal because they, they are the young guns. They are the players who will, uh, who will show us something new in the game, I think, uh, uh, um, because they have much more room for improvement than the rest of us, you know. Uh, they are less experienced than us, so they will make us train differently. They will make us, they will require us to change more. So I'm excited to watch them because I will see from them playing what I need to do to change again, you know? It's it's interesting that the two guys you mentioned there, uh, Asal and Diego, are are two of the the bigger, almost heavyweights that you're talking about. You've had a a period with Gawad and Ali and Tarek, who are all light guys, very fast around the court and that's been the challenge for you and maybe it's going to shift back in the direction of being more powerful more explosive because if you're going to I mean Asal just from what we saw last week you're going to have to be able to cope with that power if you're going to have a chance of beating him yeah definitely I mean luckily in my career I've had a lot of players that had that power in their game you know like if you looked at uh, Mossad you know uh, you looked at Pelly who had a big forehand too um, I, I had a, I used to have a big forehand when I was coming up the ranking as well. I maybe I I stopped hitting it that hard now, you know, because my energy is not my endurance is not as good anymore. <laughs> I need to just lob any I need to just lob and drop now, you know. <laughs> That's the age, man. That's the age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
But yeah, it's uh, I've had a lot of heavy hitter I had to deal with in my career, definitely. But I think he he's taking up and he's taking it up another level at the moment, definitely. He's young as well, so he can get away with a lot of things, with a lot of movement, and uh, he probably doesn't need to change that for now. You know, it's probably will work on his side right now to change to keep moving that way, the way he's moving. If I'm honest with you, um, until one day, you know, some other young players will come on him and re- will require him to change. But hopefully, I'll be gone by that time. <laughs> we don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> Jeez, don't be don't be wishing that away. You'll be a, you're a long time retired. <laughs> I think the one player we probably haven't talked about so far is your brother, who's obviously been in great form, and um, just his attitude seems different. He seems like he he's not just happy making quarters or semis of these events. He's there to win, and he's been quite open about that. Like in Manchester, when he beat Ali, he was. Well, yeah, I expect to beat Ali. I, I believe yeah. I'm a better player than him. Yeah. Do you sense, do you sense a difference there with your brother and how you prepared yeah, for mean, that? My, bro- my brother is definitely the most improved player this season by far. Like, uh, like from the first day I saw him playing in Manchester, because he was training in the summer in Egypt too, so I haven't seen him at all, and he, he probably didn't want to show me what he was doing anyways. <laughs> but definitely the first day I, I saw him play, I was like, okay, like you look like you've made some differences here, you know? Uh, he's definitely improved a lot. And um, I, I think what everyone needs to remember that my brother was one quarter final away from going to world number two, three years ago. And then he went through the problems he had to go through for two years. But my brother was actually... <laughs> just up there and reached the world champ final. He won. When this situation happened to him before, just before it, he won Ilguna, beating Ali Love in the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is actually the first time we see my brother back mentally looking different back, like like before again. And for him to beat Ali, like when people, for him, tell him, oh, wow, you just beat Ali. For him, I mean, he was, the way he, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me if he thinks that for him, for him, this is no different than any other time, you know, because he has always had a good record actually against Ali. Uh, um, and I think he had a better head-to-head against Ali. He's probably, very few people have, have a better head-to-head against Ali, if I'm honest. And uh, and uh, I, I think Ali preferred playing me than my brother anyways, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, so, so, so the results he is doing, to be honest with you right now, actually don't surprise me either because I always knew when the moment my brother is back playing well, he has always been in the semis, actually. You know, yeah, he made semis last yesterday, he lost in the semi final, but that's where he normally is. When he won the World Series, the World Tour finals, yeah, he's beaten a lot of top guys that he has beaten before as well, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and, and he has done them in a fashion that made him win a platinum event. It's not like he has done it in a way like he has beaten one top player this tournament and then lost and then beaten another top player another tournament and then couldn't back it up. He has actually yeah. done it before and backed it up, you know. Yeah. So I think he's definitely someone who is going to be gunning for the world number one this season. He's playing like that. He's playing this way. And uh, um, I think he... Um, you know, I've played him so many times in my career and I have never enjoyed playing him because he is my younger brother. Uh, even the times I have beaten him, it was never nice. You know, it, it, it always took so much out of me. But I think, he, um, I, think, I think he will really be hard to play this season. And I think his goals are not to win a tournament. His goal is, I want to go to world number one. He's always talking about how to be consistent, the way he's talking as well. He's definitely starting to understand it's not about just doing it one event. It's about doing it during the whole season. And uh, 
he's definitely going to be one to watch for that one number one to be competing for definitely yeah he looks yeah. so at ease on court at the minute and he's definitely gained a few muscles and he's showing off with taking his t-shirts off <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. lift up give the pro a wipe show the, show the 12 pack he does look at ease, but it, well, he looks at ease unless John Massarella is refereeing him. So that seems to be the one yeah, yeah, person yeah, causing him yeah. trouble. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I have had a big discussion with my brother. He, he, uh, obviously, he's not happy he lost. He, he, um, he had the match under control. If I'm honest with you, when you're watching, he, he should have finished the three-one. Really, you know, uh, he, he knew he he got carried away a little bit. You know, he 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 even told me himself after the match. You know, I he lost it a little bit. He lost himself a little bit. He he, he and that's a sign of me for someone who who is actually there mentally and who is actually here to play and compete on a high level mentally. When you realize straight away after the match that. Uh, I stepped over the line a little bit, you know, when you, you, you admit that maybe I shouldn't have done that, that's when you know that, okay, you're, you're in a good state of mind. You're actually realizing what you're doing on court, you know, because, you know, out there on court is tough, you know, and uh, the referees that are having a tough job, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy time for the referees. These referees are going there because they love the sport, not because they get paid millions as well, you know. So we need to appreciate the job they're doing, you know, because it's not an easy job. Uh, it's not an easy, easy job refereeing us players because we're not easy to deal with, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and uh, But to be honest, I think for my brother, I think what happened in Al-Ahram will actually make him a much dang- more dangerous player in the future uh, because uh, it will, I think it will help him a lot as a player to be more calm because that's something he needed to learn, how to be more calm on court. Because my brother is such a good squash player. And I think if he focused that on that more on court, it will even be harder to play. And I think... Sometimes it takes a hard loss for you to learn that. And I think, I think he'll be more dangerous, actually. <laughs> it's a tough balance, though, because he does strike me. I obviously don't know him as well as you do, but he, he seems like someone that thrives on that little sort of like nego in the match. And he, he feeds off that sort of, I don't know what to call it, but he likes that in the match. But he obviously can't push it too far because then he's going to get penalized by the referees and it's going to affect him mentally. Yeah, it definitely did backfire on him in the semi-final. Hundred percent, it did backfire on him. And uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, that was his third tournament in a row, making the later stages. And I'm not giving him this as an excuse, but that's when sometimes the, the more you play, the more you get experience. That when you know that in a third tournament in a row like this, that's when being calm is better tactic. Because mentally, you know, you won't be at 100% fresh, you know. And that's when you need to be more calm so you can be clear on court on, on thinking on how to win. Uh, yeah, maybe if it was the first tournament, you would have known when to go on about it and when to take um, a step back when, and to focus on your squash, you know. And, and normally it works for my brother. But that's when I think experience played a little bit of a part, to be honest with you. And, uh, and uh, me watching... I was thinking, like, obviously, I was nervous for him. I wanted him to win. But uh, at the same time, when the match was over, I really thought, I think he will learn a lot from it. Uh, I think I was talking to my mom and I was telling her, you know, I think, uh, I, I, I think, I think as a competitor who play against him, I would have rather having my brother win that match and learn nothing, you know, <laughs> and, and for him just to go at another tournament for him, another good tournament, or maybe lose in the final or win the final. But as a brother... I'm happy that happened because I think that will make him a much more dangerous player. 
<laughs> that, that must be a very hard thing to juggle. And it probably probably hard. the same for him as well, I'm sure. It is very hard. It is very hard, especially when we have to play in big stages as well. It is definitely hard. Like the first thing, one of the first things we always look in the draw is whether we are in the same half or not. And once we're not in the same half, we can actually look who we're playing against. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Mohammed, geez, you've been unbelievable at your time. That so such great insight into how the mind of a champion <laughs> operates and always just thinking about winning and not being afraid to make changes and to see different people and to hear different opinions. Amazing. So, Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for having me. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun chatting with you guys. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and I like yeah. the background. The which? <laughs> I like your background. Okay, <laughs> there you go, bro. <laughs> even have brand. Oh, even have your signature here, bro. <laughs> yeah. So I actually love the Miguel racket. I, I, I actually get so jealous of the Miguel racket because I love his color. Actually, I, I like the color of it. I think I I think it's a bit of a club, to be honest. I've tried plus, to hit with plus, it. And... Plus, for his racket, Technifiber made his racket only has he has only his picture, and then yeah. my racket, and then the other racket has me and Nur Shibini and my brother. I'm so angry at Technifiber. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Technifiber, sort it out. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well. Listen, best of, uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Best of luck in your preparation for guitar. Can't wait to watch you play and get back out there and amongst it. Thanks a lot, guys, and good to see you guys and uh, speak to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you too, man. Take it easy. Thanks. Thanks, Mohamed. What a guy. Mohamed El Shabagi, everyone. What an amazing chat. An absolute legend of the sport. He's already cemented himself into the squish history books and his legacy continues. And at 29, there's so much more this man can achieve. And he's obviously and clearly very driven to achieve the goals that he set for himself in the years ahead. This made for a compelling listen. We hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks again to Mohammed for coming on to the show. If you did like what you heard, don't be shy in sharing and liking and subscribing to our podcast. And you can check us out on social at Around the Course Squash Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers.